This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Romans chapter 2, verse number 12. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. As many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Now, just to give you a little bit of context before we jump in, Paul's talking to the Jewish believers in the church at Rome here in chapter number 2 when he starts off chapter 2. And he's telling them, hey, you think that you have a special relationship with God and you don't need to be saved to go to heaven, but that's not true at all. You think by doing good works or keeping the law that you can uh, go to heaven, you can be born again, but that's not true at all because there are a whole group of people who don't have the law. He's speaking of the Gentiles. And so he's talking about in verse number 12, hey, for the people who didn't have the law, they sinned uh, and they're going to die. But the people who had the law, which is the Jews, they're going to be judged by the law. Verse number 13, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but doers of the law shall be satisfied. I'm sorry, be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. And the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. I'm not a really big game player. Uh, I don't play video games these days. Me and my son uh, occasionally will play a game of uh, uh, NBA 2K, which I'm way rusty on that. But man, put me in front of a PlayStation and give me Tekken 3. I will absolutely obliterate you. I don't care who you choose. You can pick anybody you want to. Just know that I'm going to win. I'm good. Uh, And so... Board games, card games, not so much. Uh, I'm, I'm good at Uno. Again, if you want to get beat at Uno, you should set up yourself an appointment with your pastor. Uh, we'll just play some Uno. I'll show you what it's like. Um, Monopoly, it's okay. Uh, I play the game of life with my kids and stuff like that, but I'm not really big on board games. My son Thatcher is like big on board games, and he's always getting these random, weird, obscure games that he played somewhere, and he wants us as a family to play them. And last Thanksgiving, he brought over some weird, obscure to me board game uh, and begins to explain to us for about 60 minutes the rules of the game. Oh, this part of the, the board is off limits until you go to level two. Well, how do you, you get to level two? Well, you have to get the green cards. Okay, how do you get the green cards? We can only get the green cards if you have five diamonds. Okay, how do you get five diamonds? Well, you get one diamond for every time that you go. It's like, oh, my soul, are you kidding me? And like, no lie, after like an hour, my head hurt. And I was just like, hey, I'm out. I'm done. And he's just like, we haven't even started yet. Yeah, I'm done before we start because like, I don't have what it takes. And so then my kids are playing there, but after that, the hour of instruction goes, they, they're playing like, like two hours into it, and it's just like, hey, who made it to level two? Nobody's made it to level two after two hours of gameplay. I was like, this is the dumbest thing in the entire world. Why? Because I don't even know what's going on here, right? And so there's rules to a game that I don't want to play, that I don't even know what the rules are, and just the whole thing just seems like foolishness to me. That's kind of the way that God's law is. God has rules. They're pretty straightforward. People don't want to follow them. Some people have never heard of God's rules before. They don't even know that they're breaking God's rules. But when they find out that they're breaking God's rules, most people just kind of throw up their hands and say, yeah, whatever, this is foolishness. And so here we have Paul writing to the Jewish believers, and he kind of from the beginning puts them into one of two categories. God gave the the Jews the law. It started with Uh, Moses going up uh, to the mountain and getting the Ten Commandments. That was the beginning of the law. Then the book of Leviticus was written that basically gives detailed instructions on what God expects from the children of Israel down to what type of clothes they can and can't wear to what type of food they can and can't eat. So a little bit more detailed law that they have. Then you get down to the book of Deuteronomy. You might not know this, but the word Deuteronomy literally means second law giving. And so you find a lot of the repetition from the book of Leviticus, again, in the book of Deuteronomy uh, there as well. So God's given the Jews on multiple occasions his expectations, and he's been really crystal clear with them. 
And if you've ever read the Old Testament, if you haven't, you should, because it's really good. If you ever read the Old Testament, you find that the children of Israel go in a cycle. We're going to obey God, we're going to disobey God, we're going to obey God, we're going to disobey God, we're going to obey God, we're going to disobey God. And generally the periods of disobedience is God basically putting the screws to them, making their life really, really difficult until they come back to him. And that's kind of the story of the Old Testament. Then when we get to the New Testament, Jesus Christ comes as the Messiah, the fulfillment of the law as he is. The Jews kind of like dust their hands off with the whole thing altogether. And they say, yeah, we're done. We're just going to stick with what we know. And so the Jews to this day reject Christ as the Messiah. Still waiting for another one to come in his place when Christ has already come. And so we find ourselves in a unique position here in uh, the book of uh, Romans, where Paul is writing to a group of Jews who have been saved, they've been born again, that are part of the church there at Rome. And he's telling them, hey guys, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you still need Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, you've still broken God's law. Hey, look, there's a group of people that are Jews, you got the law, you broke it. There's a group of people over here that never even got the law, Gentiles, they didn't know, but they still broke it, and everybody, everybody is guilty before God. And so you can imagine they're probably scratching their head going like, okay, you got people that are guilty of something that they didn't even know what the rules were. And Paul kind of clarifies that and shows them, hey, God's already given his law to all men. So as we look at this passage from the beginning, we see in verse number 12 that the Jews and the Gentiles are dealt with equally just from differing perspectives, Again, take a look at verse number 12 with me, if you would, in Romans chapter 2. For as many as have sinned without the law. These are the Gentiles. Uh, they didn't even know that there was a law. They didn't know they were supposed to obey the law. They sinned against God, but they didn't even have a law. Verse number 12 says, they will perish or die or spend eternity separated from God in hell. They will die without the law. Next, second category, as many as have sinned in the law, so the Jews who had the law but broke the law, they're going to be judged according to the law. So again, important note here that nobody gets off, it's, everybody's guilty. We see, first of all, the Jews will be judged by the law which they have received, and they will perish. Hey, look, you knew what the rules were coming in, you didn't obey the rules, now you're going to have to pay for your sin. Now, in the Old Testament, it's a little bit different because in the Old Testament, uh, the Jews could have uh, what they called the Day of Atonement. It was a feast that God had given them and a way for them to make a yearly sacrifice for their sins. And basically, the priest would go before God in the presence of God and he would kill an animal, allow that animal to be bled out over the altar as a symbolism of that blood of the animal covering the sins of the people. Then he would confess the sins of the people over a second sheep or a goat and would send that one out into the wilderness never to be seen again. And it was a picture of how God covers our sin with the blood of an animal, places our sin upon the animal, and then sends it away never to be seen again. Beautiful picture. The Day of Atonement, still a Jewish feast festival to this day called Yom Kippur. That was the old way of doing things. But here's the thing. When you broke the law, there was a sacrifice that was made. But when we get to the New Testament now, the Bible says that Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. He checked it off. He, he's done with it. Uh, the law is fulfilled. The law is complete. Now there has to be a sacrifice that is only not a yearly sacrifice, but a once and for all sacrifice. And that sacrifice is in Jesus. So Paul's telling the Jews here, hey, you had the law. You didn't follow the law. You didn't obey the law. And now you're going to die. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We got a special relationship with God. God's not going to do that to us. We're his chosen people. I mean, hello, do you remember Abraham? Our father, Abraham? God made a covenant with Abraham back in the book of Genesis in the beginning of biblical history. And God says, Abraham, from you, I'll make you a land, seed, and a blessing. Three things that he promised in the Abrahamic covenant. And they're like, hey, we're good. We're covered by that covenant. We don't need Jesus. And Paul's like, oh, no, 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 no. The law was given to you, and you broke it, and because of that, you're going to die. The Jews having the law doesn't give them an advantage or leg up over Gentiles, because the Gentiles could, could legitimately say, like, hey, nobody ever gave us a law. Like, I mean, we didn't even know what we were supposed to do. We're just trying to do our best. And so if anything, the Jews having the law wasn't an advantage for them. It was actually a disadvantage because they couldn't say, we didn't know. 
they knew precisely what they were supposed to do. And again, if you read back through the uh, beginning of uh, Deuteronomy, God commands fathers and kings and judges to write out the Bible by hand, the, the, the book of the law, so that they would not be able to say, I didn't know. No, every dad who leads his family knows exactly what God expects for his family because you had to copy it out in your own handwriting. That's how big of a deal this was. But the Jews basically said, yeah, 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 the law, we don't need that. We're covered anyways because we got this special relationship with God. And it's just like, oh, no, no, no. Having the law doesn't give you a pass for salvation. Having the law makes you more culpable, makes you more accountable, more responsible because you knew the law yet chose to break it anyways. So we see that the Jews had the law. They broke it. They're going to die. The Gentiles don't have the law and will also perish. Why? Because they've sinned. So verse number 12 says, hey, they that didn't have the law will die without ever having the law. And so again, on the surface, this might seem like really unfair, like, wow, they didn't even know, and now God's going to send them to hell because of their sin. Like, nobody ever told them that there was a law to keep, otherwise they might have obeyed it. We'll get to that in just a second, because nobody gets a pass on this, because nobody gets a free pass when it comes to sin. So whether you had the law, you didn't have the law, doesn't matter. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. If you take a look at verse number six up in our, our text here, the God will reward every man according to his deeds. Everybody's going to get what's coming to them. Nobody gets a free pass. The book of Hebrews tells us it's appointed unto man once to die, after that, the judgment. It's only a matter of time before every single person gets what's coming to them. And you're like, ooh, yeah, I want what's coming to me. Let me tell you, you don't, I promise. Because if you have sinned, and you have, if you're alive, you have sinned, God's wrath and punishment is waiting for you. That's what we deserve. You see, all of us have sinned, myself included. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God has an expectation that he sets forth in his law. All of us miss it. Did you miss it by six inches or ten miles? Doesn't matter, you missed it. Imagine this. Uh, this afternoon, we're going to have a long jump competition uh, for our church family. We're going to meet over to Alamona Beach Park. There's a parking lot there, some sand. We can get a little long beach, a, a long jump action in uh, going on there. And so we're going to stand at Alamona Beach Park, and we're going to have a long jump competition from here to Santa Monica, California. So whoever gets to Santa Monica wins. Everybody else falls short. Now, some of us, might make it five feet. Some of you might make it 10 feet. We might have a, like an Olympic long jumper that makes, I don't know, like 20 feet, right? None of us are going to make it to California. None of us. Why? Because we're all going to fall short. Doesn't matter how far you fall short, you fall short. God has a standard set, which is perfection. All of us fall short. You might be, quote, a good person, but you fall short of the standard that God has set. Therefore, you have failed. When it comes to God's law, you don't have to break every single one of the laws, although most of us have broken most of God's laws and most of God's commandments. All you have to do is break one is what James says. If any man offend in one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. And so, like, again, in, in God's economy, you might say, well, I don't know that I've sinned enough to deserve hell. I mean, yeah, I've done some stuff in my life, but, like, I haven't done anything to deserve hell. Well, if you sin one time, the Bible says you are guilty and have to pay the price, which is death and hell. And if you die in your sin, friend, you will be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. There's no second chances. There's no getting out. It just is what it is. But God loves you so much that he doesn't want you to go to hell. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants to make a way for you to make it to heaven and to miss hell entirely. And he did that by sending his son Jesus to die for you. Jesus came with a perfectly sinless life, never broke the law one time. Uh, again, Jesus was perfect. God's law met it to the letter every single time so that he could pay for our sins. You see, had Jesus sinned or broken God's law, he'd be in the same boat as all of us, that we need someone to pay for us because we don't want to pay the price. So the Bible says that Jesus became sin for us and was crucified.
crucified so that you and I could be forgiven. See, I was supposed to die on, on the cross. I was supposed to be punished by, by God. I was supposed to die and go to hell. I was supposed to endure God's wrath, his furious anger because of my sin, and Jesus died for me. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so Jesus died to pay for your sins and mine. But here's the most important thing that you will ever hear in the rest of your life. And if you're, if you're not paying attention today, pay attention to this. You must make a decision for yourself to put your faith in Jesus to be saved today. You got to. Nobody can make that decision for you. I can't pray a prayer for you. I can't make a decision for you. Again, Paul has already said here under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, doesn't matter who your parents are or what they did, whether they were Christians or not, every person will have to answer for their own life. And so if you're here today and you say, I don't really know for sure that I'm saved, I'm going to make it really easy for you. You have to believe and you have to turn from your sin. That's it. You don't have to join our church. You don't have to become a Baptist. Uh, you don't have to be baptized. You don't have to go to a class. You just must truly believe with every fiber of your being that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus died for your sins, that Jesus rose again on the third day, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and you have to ask for forgiveness of your sins. And the moment that you do, bam, in the blink of an eye, you can be saved. The Bible also calls it being born again. And here's what Jesus says in John chapter 3. No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Friend, you got to be saved to go to heaven. If you don't know for sure that you're saved, do that today. There's no reason for you to continue to carry on your own sin because according to this verse, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. When you die in your sin, you will perish. But here's what Jesus says in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know for sure that you're saved today, friend? If not, you need to get that squared away like ASAP. More than you need to pray or you need to read the Bible, you need to be saved. Most important thing in the world. Because nobody gets a free pass. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed unto men once to die, after that the judgment. When you take your last breath here on planet Earth, you'll be standing before a holy God and you will have to give an account for your life. You have to answer for it. Unless your answer is Jesus has already paid for it. That's the only hope that you and I have. Again, if I have to answer for every single wrong thing that I've done and try to make up an excuse and, and argue with God about why I did what I did, I'm gonna lose 100 times out of 100. But I have to be willing to say, I couldn't fix my sin, but Jesus did. I, I, I don't want to pay for my sin, but Jesus has already paid it all. Because friend, when you take your last breath here on planet Earth, your eternal destination is already settled and sealed and nothing anyone can do to change that. And so sometimes people struggle with this. Okay, if, if everybody's going to face God in judgment, what about the innocent and those people that didn't really know? Would God really punish the innocent and the ignorant is the question. And again, it sounds unfair. Again, take a look at verse number 12. You know, those who didn't have the law, they're going to die without the law. So does God really allow the innocent and ignorant to perish? Good question. If God's so loving, what about people who have never heard before? Those are the people that are in the ignorant category. They just didn't know any better. According to verse number 12, they're going to perish. You never got the rule book. You're still gonna, responsible for the rules. Again, that doesn't seem fair on the surface either. But when we dig just one layer deeper, we have to understand that no one is innocent. Nobody. And, and again, sometimes when we talk about people that don't know Jesus, we say, oh, you know, he's not a Christian, but he's a really good guy. Like, super good guy. And I understand what people mean when they say that. I've said that before myself. What we're saying is this person is kind. They're nice. They're not mean. They might do good stuff like, you know, order pizza for everybody on Fridays. You know, they might bring donuts into the break room at work. 
They might stop by your house and say, hey, just bake some cookies and wanted to bring these to you. And we automatically take those people and put them in the good category, right? Based on what? Chocolate chip cookies? Is that really the standard of goodness that we have? They ordered pizza one time on Friday at work and shared with everybody? That puts them in the category of good? Not according to to God's law. We're we're in Romans. Turn over to Romans chapter uh, 3, if you would. Um, Put one page over from where you're at in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 3, verse number 10. (laughs) Romans chapter 3, verse number 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they've used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known, and there's no fear of God before their eyes. Wow. <laughs> That's God's judgment based on you and I and our, quote, good works. There's none that doeth good in God's eyes. God's standard of goodness is bigger than chocolate chip cookies, if I can say it that way, right? He expects a little bit more. Well, fine, what does he expect from us? He expects complete and total obedience. And you might say, well, that's, that's just unreasonable. It might be unreasonable if he wasn't God, but he is. And you say, well, I could, I could never be fully obedient, precisely. So, for those of us that cannot be completely obedient, which is all of us, we need somebody bigger than us, better than us, that can make that payment for us. Because we're not good enough. So when it comes to the innocent, according to the Bible, there's nobody innocent. When it comes to the ignorant, ignorance, unfortunately, is no excuse. Again, sometimes people say, this, say it this way. They say, well, what about somebody that didn't know the gospel, never heard the gospel before? Would, they, would God really send them to hell? Like maybe there's a, it's always a tribe in South America somewhere, right? They're camped out along the Amazon River and they don't have any access to the outside world. Is God going to send them to hell because they didn't know the gospel? They didn't hear about Jesus? Would he really do that? And, and my response to that was that if ignorance automatically punched your ticket to heaven, Stay with me for a second. If just not knowing the truth would punch your ticket to heaven, then our evangelism plan should be stop telling people. Right? Because once they know, they've got to do something with that. Just don't tell them. And they won't know any better. They'll get their ticket punched to heaven because they don't know. But that's not what God told us to do. Matthew chapter 28, here's what he said. Go ye therefore and, t- and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. No, go everywhere and tell everybody about what I've done because this is of eternal significance. This is a big deal. So ignorance is an excuse. Again, we're in Romans, turn back to Romans chapter 1. Verse number 18, for the wrath of God, Romans 1, 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness in men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 19, hear this, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Verse 20 takes it one step further, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Nobody gets a free pass here. Well, I didn't know. That's a problem. And so then we get into this logical quandary of, wow, If God's so loving, if God's so gracious, and he has the answer to help these people go to heaven, yet they just haven't gotten it yet, why would God be so mean as to send them to hell? I think the question should be not why did God send the unreached people to hell, but why do Christians care so little for the unreached people on their way to hell? See, we want to point the finger at God like this is his fault. 
But hey, look, if you know that there's some group in South America by the Amazon River that doesn't know Jesus, what's keeping you from telling them? And if you know that they're going to die and go to hell, what, are you going to sit and watch Netflix this week? And and then you're going to blame God for it, right? Oh, God's just going to let them perish. No, no, no. You and I are letting them perish. Your coworker that's never heard the name of Jesus before, that's not on God, that's on you and I. Your neighbor that's never heard the gospel, that's not on God, that's on you and I. We got to take responsibility for that at some point. That's why we as a church make it a priority to go into our community, pass out these little cards that have the gospel on the back. Every restaurant I go to, I put one in the little folio after I pay my bill. I give them to my, the lady at Starbucks back before COVID where you make your coffee when you're, you're done at getting your drink at Starbucks. I used to put them there, but they don't let you make your own stuff anymore because of COVID. Uh, and so, but always trying to hand those out anywhere I can. Somebody's got a bulletin board where people are putting up their lost puppy. Man, I'm going to put a, a gospel track up there wherever I can. Why? Because those people who see that are going to spend eternity either in heaven or hell, and I have the opportunity to make a difference. That's huge. Here's the worst part about it. The majority of Christians, that thought never crosses their mind like ever. Like, oh, I'm on my way to heaven. I'm good. I think my sins are forgiven. I want to go to church and sing some songs that I like and hopefully the pastor doesn't go too long so we can hurry up and get to lunch because I'm tired and this is my day off. I'm just giving a couple of hours to the Lord to do what's right. And then when people die and go to hell, we want to blame it on God? Like, no, 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 no. Again, we go back to the book of Acts. The apostles went everywhere spreading the gospel. When the church at Jerusalem split up because of persecution, they went everywhere preaching and teaching Jesus Christ. Like they covered the known world at that time with the gospel. Somewhere along the lines, we lost that. And we thought that all God expected of us was to come to church and try to stay awake for a couple hours a week and call it good. That's never been the mission of the church. The mission of the church has always been go, win, baptize, teach. Always. And that's what we are required to do. And look, you don't have to go to Africa, to the mission field, to find people that need Jesus. Friends, you are on a mission field. Demographics tell us that 93% of people that live in our city don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. That should bother you that 9 out of 10 people that you will see today are on their way to hell. And let me just tell you, the only people that I see out there doing anything about eternity, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and other cults. Man, I, my son Van went to, to Zippy's with some other folks from our church a couple of weeks ago. There were some folks behind them that were talking about the Bible and stuff like that and kind of caught his ear and stuff like that. And, and so he like hung around to see like what they were talking about and stuff. He's like, oh, you know, are you a Christian? He said, I am. And he says, oh, are you familiar with God the Mother? It's like, what? Yeah, there's God the Father and his spiritual wife, God the Mother. It's just like, he's like, oh, no, no, you guys are a cult. No, we're not. (laughs) Yes, you are. And and no lie, uh, one of the ladies in our church that works over at the mall, she says, I'm on my way to work the other day, and somebody stopped me, and she's like, hey, do you know about God the Mother? And they gave me this card, and I was just like, oh, heavens. Cults. But Bible-believing Christians, we're ashamed We don't want to talk about things like that because you don't talk about politics and religion because that makes people unhappy. Hey, look, don't talk about politics. Nobody cares about that. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. Talk about Jesus as much as you want to. People need that. But we as Christians just like, oh, I don't want to say anything. People might think I'm weird. You know, I don't want to be out there. I don't want to put a Bible on my desk at work. I don't want to have, you know, invite cards in in my my pocket because somebody might think something about that. You know, it's funny. The Apostle Paul didn't have that same mindset because in Romans 1.16, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He wasn't ashamed by it. So again, for you and I, one of the ways that we get the gospel to people is we intentionally take it. This Saturday at 9 o'clock, we'll have a prayer breakfast where we get together, have breakfast, we pray, we go out to our community and pass out invitation cards to our church. Try to have gospel conversations with people. And people come to our church because they found those. People have, gotten, have accepted Christ as Savior because they found those. But here's the thing. 
If we go out this Saturday and nobody comes and nobody gets saved, guess what? We're just sowing seed like we've been commanded. Just trying to be obedient to what God says. We'll trust Him with the increase in the harvest because we're just doing what we're supposed to do. And we partner together with missionaries that are, that are getting the job done around the world. And we give financially every single month to these missionaries who are taking the gospel to places like Ethiopia, Nigeria, Papua New Guinea, the Philippines, places that you and I can't go physically today but they're there getting it done because we know that people are dying everywhere. And we got to do something about it. But here's the thing. Get this, and I'm moving on, I promise. Get this. Our missionaries that we support in the Philippines, General Santos City in the Philippines, it's a highly Muslim area, tons of violence over the, the years and stuff like that. They're getting it done in the Philippines, and we're partnering together with them. But you know who they're hoping is reaching Honolulu? us they're like hey thanks for helping us i hope you're doing you're doing your part because like we're doing our part i grew up in a church that we had the, the mindset that we pay a, a pastor a salary and he does all that work for us and we just get to sit back and and enjoy life that's never been a biblical model ever the, jo the job of the ministry is all of us pitching in together and making the gospel go forward so nobody gets a free pass doesn't matter if you didn't know you'll be held responsible it's not enough to just hear the law or the word of God. One must obey what they hear. Verse number 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. So again, it's not just enough to know what God says. You have to actually do it. James says in James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. See, if you know a lot about the Bible, but you don't obey the Bible, the Bible says you're just tricking yourself. You think that you're something that you're not. You might know a lot of Bible verses and a lot of Bible stories, but you don't know nothing about the character of God because God is calling you to obedience first. We had just gotten the keys to our building um, back in 2013. And we were cleaning up there furiously. We were knocking walls down and putting new walls up and getting things ready for a grand opening service. It was an awesome time. And there was a guy I would see come down from the, the condo right over here every day. He would come down and he'd walk down the sidewalk and he'd kind of look in the window and stuff like that and keep on walking down to the corner over here. And, and so I got to kind of be on the lookout for him. He'd come by about the same time every day. And he'd come by and I'd like wave like that. And he'd like pretend like he didn't see me and not make eye contact and keep walking. But you can tell he's kind of curious. He's always looking in. Well, one day I see him, he comes down from his condo, he's standing at the crosswalk out there, and I grab a broom, I go out on the sidewalk, because I know he's going to walk past, and he's out there sweeping the sidewalk. He walks by, I said, hey, how's it going? He said, good. Hey, how's your day been? Good. Hey, I just want to give you an invite to church, and he stopped, and I was just like, yes, I got him to stop. So, hey, I want to give you an invite to our church service, you just started here in a couple of weeks, I'd love to have you come by. And he's like, oh, okay, right on, thanks. He said, um... I said, what kind of work do you do? How, how long have you lived here? He told me he was from California. You know, how long have you lived here? And, and so I said, man, we live in California too. We just moved here, back here from California after being away for a little while. We got to talk a little bit about things like that. Hey, what kind of work do you do? He was a, a child psychologist and a child therapist. I said, oh, man, that sounds like fascinating work. Do you enjoy it? And he says, I kind of do. I kind of don't. You know, he says, it wasn't really what I planned to do. It wasn't really what I went to school for. I said, man, where did you go to school? He went to Fuller Theological Seminary. Bing, my ears perk up. Just like, oh, really? Tell me about that. He said, well, you know, went there, I got my undergrad, and I forget what it was, like theological studies, something generic like that. And he said, then I got my master's. I was working on my doctorate, but then I quit because I don't really want to do stuff like that. And I said, oh, okay. I said, what was, your, what was your master's in? My master's was in ancient biblical languages. Oh, okay. And he said, I'm pretty fluent in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Wow. That's fascinating. And I said, um, well, where do you go to church? He was like, huh, I haven't been to church in 25, 30 years. Oh, okay. Um, he was like, I, was, I just, I was headed to work right now. I was like, oh, is your office down here? He was like, no, I own the bar on the corner up here. I was like, oh, got it. So you got a guy that, look, this guy has forgotten more about the Bible than I'll probably know in my lifetime. Like, again, he's going to be like, oh, yeah, the Aramaic word that's used in the book of Daniel is very closely related to the Hebrew word used over here. Dude, like, way next level than me. But you know what's interesting? There was also a guy who had just gotten saved at our church, and I was beginning to take him through a rough version of discipleship at the time, and he knew, like, two Bible verses in his life, but was just on fire for Jesus. 
right? Which one of those lives do you think that God was most pleased with? The guy who knows a lot but is doing nothing for the cause of Christ or the guy who knows like two Bible verses but just wants to live for Jesus? It's, it's like a no-brainer. And so God wants us not to just read the Bible for information. God wants us to read the Bible for application. The Bible is ex- explicitly applicable to your life. That's why people, when they come to who we call, they're like, whoa, today's message was so great. I always say the same thing. It's 100% plagiarized from the Bible. I, like, not an original thought have I ever had, ever. It's just all God's word. But, it, but people say, it's just so amazing how this message applied to what I'm going through this week. It's just like, because the Bible is directly applicable to every situation that you have in life. And again, people have been in, in, in churches before where people talk really slowly and they, uh, they read their, their notes and they use big words and they quote a lot of Greek and Hebrew and stuff like that. And then people leave confused and they're like, oh, that was super deep. Like, I didn't even understand half of what was being said. That's not a compliment. That's a bad thing. God doesn't want his word to be confusing. God's not the author of confusion, but of peace. God wants you to know what his word says and live it out. God's not simply looking for knowledge, but obedience. I love what John talked about when he talked about worship this morning. Worship isn't an ooey-gooey feeling that I have in my heart. Worship is not goosebumps when I hear amazing grace. Worship is me choosing to obey God because he is worthy. That's worship. That's what God desires of us. If we look at verse number 13, it says, for not the hearers of the law are just before God. Again, that word just is a legal term, declared righteous. But the doers of the law shall be justified. Now again, to be justified or declared righteous, one must keep every aspect of the law. So some people on the surface look and say, well, Paul's saying here if we keep the law that we can, can be saved. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, if you think you can keep every single aspect of the law and never break one in your entire life, then you could probably be saved, but you can't. And so in this case, this verse doesn't give false hope that one can be saved through the law, but it drives home the point that you could never be saved by the law. Again, none of us can say that we are perfect. We all have to admit we have flaws, we have shortcomings, we have sin that we struggle with. And again, you might say, well, my sin's not as bad as it used to be, or my sin's not as bad as that person. doesn't matter. Every single one of us falls short. But we can never, I want to be ridiculously explicit on this, we can never, ever, ever be good enough to earn God's forgiveness. Ever. It has to be bigger than us. It has to be outside of us. The only thing that I have earned is God's punishment. That's the only thing I got. And so there has to be something or someone bigger than me to provide that forgiveness that I need, and his name is Jesus. So here's an interesting thought that Paul brings up. How do cultures spread across the globe through thousands of years of world civilization come to an agreed-upon code of acceptable moral behavior think about this that remote tribe in the in south america they have rules for the way that they do things everybody does that they probably have some type of government system that they have some type of of way that they govern or rule they have laws and and consequences for laws when you break them because that's just innate in mankind the absence of law The absence of order is anarchy, and this doesn't work at all. So they've got rules and guidelines that they follow. Why is it that it doesn't matter whether it was a group of people a thousand years ago or people in present day, whether they lived in in the Far East or they lived in the West or they lived in, you know, Northern Europe or something like that, why is it that everybody kind of agrees on what is moral? It's wrong to kill Nobody can say that, you know, if you don't like somebody, you can just kill them and get rid of them and dig a hole, bury them. It's good. Don't, don't worry about it. It's fine. Nobody would agree to that. Everybody would say that it's wrong. Everybody would agree that it's wrong to steal. You can't just take other people's stuff for yourself because you want it. Everyone would agree that's not right. Everyone would agree that you can't 
take something that belongs to someone else. You can't lie and not tell the truth. You can't just make up stories ever how you want to. All of us agree that there's a certain almost universal moral code. How did we get there? Romans chapter 2, verse number 15 tells us that. Verse number 14 says, for when the Gentiles, get this, 14 is pretty wordy, so I'm going to break it down with you as we walk through it, okay? Take a look at verse number 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, they never got the Ten Commandments, they didn't know to keep the Sabbath, they didn't know not to keep idols, they didn't know not to commit adultery, they didn't know not to lie. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law. So, the Gentiles don't have the Ten Commandments, but they're basically following them anyways because they know that it's right. They're not killing, they're not committing adultery, they're not stealing, they're not lying because they know that that's right. How do they do that? It says, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. How? Verse 15, which shows the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, then meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. We're going to get into the conscience next week. It's too, too much to just tack on to the end of today's message. But it says here that God has already written his law on the hearts of man and has given him a conscience so that he can discern right from wrong. Mankind already knows what's good and what's evil. Mankind already knows I shouldn't lie, but I'm going to. Why is it that our children, think about this for a second, if you've ever had children, you don't have to teach your children when they do wrong to lie and cover up for it, do you? You don't have to tell them, they automatically know. Did you hit your sister? No. Okay, well, who hit your sister? I don't know. Did someone come into the house and hit your sister and leave? I think so. Like, we didn't sit them down and go, okay, when you're in a bad spot and you think things are rough, you make up a lie, and if, they, if nobody buys that lie, you double down on the lie a second time. And then if, you, if they come up with something crazy, just triple down on the lie, and eventually they'll leave you alone. Nobody teaches kids that. They automatically know when they've done wrong, I've got to cover this up. And they know that lying's wrong, but hey, look, lying is better than getting a spanking, I guess, so I'm going to roll the dice and kind of see what happens. But they know that it's wrong. Why? Because God's written his law on their hearts. They're pagan little wicked hearts. <laughs> they know. Of course they know. So, God, God's written his law on the heart of every man. So then the question comes, okay, hold up though. How can man disobey God's law if it's already written on his heart? Like then, then why doesn't everybody subscribe to these ideals, right? We'd gone to uh, El Salvador uh, several years ago on a missions trip. And um, we were talking with the guys in the city. He said, one of the things we have to teach our men is that you don't have girlfriends. You have your wife, and she's the only woman that you're with for the rest of your life. Because in, in our Hispanic culture here, especially in the city we were in, it's common for a guy to be married and have children, but then he has multiple girlfriends that he has relationships as well. And everybody knows about it. It's acceptable. It's not like he's trying to hide it. Everybody knows it. And it's just kind of one of those things that's culturally acceptable. He said, we have to go around and teach them, you can't do that. You're with your wife for the rest of your life, and you don't get to mess around with other girls. And these guys are like, what? Where did this come from? <laughs> right? But then you, so you look and you say, wait a minute, if God's written his law in their heart that they should know that adultery is wrong, right? Not necessarily. Because, first of all, we see in Romans chapter 1, man disregards God. I know what's right, I just don't want to do it. Verse number 21, Romans chapter 1, verse number 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and get this, their foolish heart was darkened. So again, I know who God is. I'm pushing him to the side because I don't want to listen to him. That's step one. That, that's immediately problematic. I know who God is, but I don't want to follow him. Next, it says that man's foolish heart is darkened. Get this. I'm not trying to draw lines where there's not lines, but I think it's important to note that, that for me, when I read through the scriptures, this is one of the things that, that I'd come to. John chapter one says that Jesus Christ is the light of the world that lights every man that comes into the world, Right? 
So the light of Christ is inside every man. And Jesus Christ, according to John, is also known as the Word of God. The Word of God, the light of the world, has lit every man that comes into the world. Okay? Stay with me here for a second. Light of the world in every man lights them when they come into the world. The Word of God in their hearts. Jesus Christ, Word of God. Then, verse 21 We disregard God, we set him to the side, and then our foolish heart becomes darkened. The light goes out. They no longer have the the desire to stay true to the word of God or the law of God, which has been written on their heart, and their heart becomes darkened. Verse number 25, uh, Romans chapter 1 tells us then that man creates his own morality who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who's blessed forever, amen. Okay, I know what's right, I know what's wrong, but I also know what I want to do. So, I'm going to set aside God's law and I'm going to create my own law, my own code of morality, my own code of ethics that I choose to live by that is separate from God because I push God to the side. This is where we find our nation today. Where we're literally trying to rewrite laws to soothe our guilty conscience to say, it's okay, it's not against the law. I am grieved that we live in a country that is falling all over itself to murder unborn children. That bothers me. Because we said, oh, every woman needs a right to reproductive health care. Tell me any other type of health care where it includes putting someone to death. Nobody would call that health care. It's just a misnomer. But we've created our own vocabulary and our own law and our own rules to soothe our guilty conscience because we don't want to obey God. Now look, I haven't read the whole statement. I haven't read all that was said. I skimmed some news headlines. There were like the first two paragraphs of, of uh, a news article. But Kanye West has like blown his life up because he runs his mouth and says probably a lot of foolish things that I haven't read. But one of the things that I read in the first two paragraphs of the article that I read, he said, people want to talk about the Holocaust. We need to talk about the Holocaust in America of killing unborn babies. Okay, it's hard to argue with a statement like that. He said, we've killed 20 million unborn children, which is more than people that died in the Holocaust. And he says, the most dangerous place for a a black child to be is in its mother's womb because it faces the the risk of death, like nine times out of ten. And I didn't read the rest of the article. He probably said some foolish stuff like like celebrities always do. But like those two statements made him anti-Semitic. You know, he hates women. He hates reproductive health care and all these other things. But it's just like, I have a hard time disagreeing with those two statements. Again, I don't know what else was said or anything like that. And again, I'm not endorsing anybody. I'm not telling you to go out and buy CDs or put a sticker on your car. (laughs) I'm just saying those two statements are full of a lot of truth that absolutely sent our nation into just like crazy mode, like triggered by those words, right? But that's because we've created our own morality, that says things like that are okay, and anybody who says that it's not, you need to mind your own business. Look, we live in a nation where it costs $500 to snuff out a child, but if you wanted to adopt that same child, did you know that you pay upwards of $50,000 to adopt that same child? Why such a disparity? Because we create our, our own morality. And finally, here's what God does. God says, okay, you want to live that way? Go for it. God gives them up to their corrupt mind. Again, Romans one twenty eight. even as God, as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. God's like, fine, you want your sin? Take it. Go for it. And that's where we find ourselves today. Again, you only need to take a look at authentic American history and see that this nation was founded on Christian values and beliefs. It wasn't founded on religion. It was founded on religious liberty that when the laws were put together for this nation, they were basically drawn from the law of God's word. You might not know this, you should probably do some, some historical research on your own at some point, but 
in the probably late 1700s, early 1800s in America, you had these kids that were working out in the fields or were working in mines with their parents and stuff like that, and they didn't get an education. They didn't know how to read. And so they couldn't take off from work with their parents in the field to actually like, teach them education because the majority of the parents didn't know how to read or write either. So a group of Baptist churches banded together to create an educational experience for these kids so that they could learn to read and to write so that they could read the Bible. And they called it, does anyone guess what they called it? Sunday school. Interesting to note. But again, if you read textbooks that have been written with revisionist history, you won't find that anywhere. People came here because they were looking for money and looking to advance themselves and uh, Christians did all types of terrible things and awful things. But no, 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 no. Christians have always held to God's law above everything else. Again, when Peter was asked to stop preaching the gospel, he said, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to obey God or should we obey man? When it comes to God's law, God has expectations for every Christian. And if you're here today and you've never been saved or born again, God has expectations for you as well. And obedience is the only answer for us. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please don't leave here today without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. If you're here as a Christian today, I want to ask you to pray for a burden for the lost. Look, if you want to pray for the lost in Ethiopia while our missionaries minister to them, I'm thankful for that. But please pray for the lost on your street. Please pray for the lost in your school. Please pray for the lost in your workplace. The guy that's like two cubicles down from you, he needs Jesus too, not just those Ethiopian kids. And again, it's not an either or, it's a both and. Because we're commanded to reach the world with the gospel. Because again... Nobody gets a free pass. If you really believe that there's a heaven and a hell, like really believe the Bible, that there's a heaven and a hell, you and I have the opportunity to make a difference in where people spend eternity. I want to get to heaven one day and know that there are people there because of the way that I live my life. I would be embarrassed to think that there are people that will stand in judgment and were cast into hell because either I didn't live an authentic Christian life or I just didn't care. And so I can't afford that and I hope you can't either. So let's be the church that is forever a lighthouse of the gospel here in the city. Let's be the church that is continually reaching out to people, helping them to know about Jesus. Let this be the church that when people walk in, they feel like a million bucks because they found people who know Jesus and they know joy. Let's be that type of church this week. And again, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, make sure of that today. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m.